This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 30 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have an author who happens to be the daughter of legendary film star Robert Mitchum. Her name is Patrine Mitchum, and we have Year in the Review, or Year in Review, with Monty Roberts. And that's where we get to travel vicariously with the most interesting horse adventures I know of, right? This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And I have my producer, Glenn, with me today. Hi, Glenn. It's been a few weeks. Yes, it has, Debbie. I think it's been a month since I talked to you. Jennifer's been uh, helping out here, so that's been nice. She's been a lot of fun. We've had some fun shows, but I'm glad you're back for this one because this one's going to be really cool. As yes, Merry in. Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. That's right. Yeah. This is going to come out right before Christmas. So we're going to, uh, it's going to be like the year in blowout, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it is. And <laughs> Pulling you know, all the stops out. <laughs> and you guys, I mean, you know, you must have many fond memories of the ranch from Christmas time growing up with all the, with everybody around. I mean, it's ton fun. of people. Yeah. Is there still a ton of people? Does your mom uh, still cook? What happens at the ranch at Christmas? <laughs> uh, yeah. Huge turkey. Huge yes, turkey. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Can we yes. have a 100-pound turkey, please? Yeah, I've never seen one of those. <laughs> and I want to deep fry it in a, in a <laughs> cauldron, you know? Oh, my <laughs> like, gosh. Yeah, that's right. A trough. Yeah. <laughs> Just get one of the horse troughs, fill it with a little oil. <laughs> Sounds a little dangerous, Glenn. No, we, we, do, we do have people wander through. We have people coming and going from all over the world, which is a lot of fun. You know, it's just... Uh, pilgrimage time plus my kids and you know my my uh, extended family the foster kids you know just everybody kind of wanders through over that week it's like a, a week-long <laughs> moment of christmas but uh well, it is i have always a curious fun. question for you then you uh when when your kids were growing up did you all go down to the ranch or did you stay home at your place uh for christmas and starting those traditions yeah i was gonna ask you the same thing actually uh yeah no we we kind of went off and on because I lived up in Washington state for a while and flying with, you know, a two year old and everything that was a little hard. So we did off and on. And plus I have in-laws too, who appreciated being seen at Christmas too, (laughs) and two States away. So, but you know, now everybody wants to go to the ranch (laughs) without kids and, and, you know, diaper bags and all that stuff. It's a lot easier. And, uh, everybody's grown up now. We're just waiting for that next generation to come and slow us down again. But right now everybody enjoys being at the ranch on Christmas. Now does everybody cook or does your, has your mom always been the one to do that? She takes the brunt of it. Poor thing. She she does a lot of cooking. Does she like to do it? I think so. You know, it's tradition. So you don't even think about it, right? You just, Put it all together as, as usual, but she does work hard, and we appreciate that. And we all like to. We have a an old tradition, believe it or not. I, it is California, but my Irish grandmother used to bring the enchiladas on Christmas Eve, and <laughs> we lost her a few years ago in her nineties. Now wait a minute, your Irish grandmother would bring yeah. enchiladas? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. Shouldn't that have been haggis or something, you know? (laughs) Exactly. No, and her mother, uh, really the Irish grandmother, uh, used to grind her own chili sauce in her enchilada. So I don't know where this tradition comes from, but my my mom remembers it. take a uh, vacation in South America and never come home? (laughs) I don't know. Or, you know, when in California, you do as the California. I guess when they moved there, they just adopted everything. They adopted everything. Yeah, yeah. But it's really good. So we're going to... No bangers and mash then for Christmas. No bangers and mash. (laughs) We tried those popper things, but they don't work that well these days. So they're made in China or something. (laughs) (laughs) But it'll be fun. It'll be a crowd. How about you? Are you going to be around in Florida for Christmas? Yeah, I think we're going to be visiting some friends down here. And uh, we're going to go down and uh, spend some time with uh, Dr. Wendy Ying of the Driving Radio Show, who lives in Sarasota, which is even warmer than where we are. It's about two hours south. That's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to head down there because it's not warm enough here. And then, uh, you know, we always have friends we spend New Year's with up in the Carolinas. As a matter of fact, they they live near uh, Asheville. So they're about 45 minutes from Asheville, Greenville, South Carolina. And we used to go up in the mountains. As a matter of fact, we've been to the Biltmore a couple times for New Year's Eve. So nice. Uh, And we've been there when it's been snowing on New Year's Eve. That's Uh, crazy. It was absolutely beautiful, actually. It was just we pulled in and there was just snow everywhere. It was snowing that at the time we pulled in. It was New Year's Eve. We ate dinner in the, anybody that's been there knows they have a restaurant in the stables and you eat in the stalls. And oh. uh, we ate in the stall on New Year's Eve. And that's one of Jennifer's awesome. favorite rides of all time was at the Biltmore in uh, oh. Asheville. And I don't know if you've been there before, but it's, no, I haven't. it's one of the, you know, grandest houses in America. And it, uh, it is just huge, and it is really cool because they have a trail ride concession there. And the day that Jennifer went with our friend, they went out trail riding together. They were the only two and the guide. So oh, he took them nice. out extra, and they were both experienced riders. So he gave them the, you know, he, he let them have fun. And Full you deal. have that Biltmore, yeah. you have the grand house there right there, you know, the mansion right there behind you as you're doing your trail ride. So that's nice. one of her favorites, I think. Holy moly. I bet you, you guys are, you deserve it. You work hard all year long. I know. So we get to take a couple escape. weeks off. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I can hear you nice. coming back on January 4 going, oh. I know. <laughs> that's usually what happens too. That's usually what happens. Now, our, one of our favorite things to do is go to the parks, but we do not, we didn't, Disney and Universal, but yeah. we do not do that over Christmas time. Good idea. Uh, yeah. yeah you can do this anytime. Us and five so million of our friends. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I know. it's it's the land of the misfits. I know at Christmas here in Disneyland and Anaheim, you know. Oh, you just, couldn't get in, Dan. I bet you they close it at 10 o'clock in the morning because it's packed. It's packed. Yeah. That's a year. Full capacity. I think so. I mean, I think it's craziness. Yeah, crazy making. That's why we go to solving. It's it's not crazy making. I, it's beautiful. I will tell you, though, that for your audience that we've had something cool happen here with a uh, host on the Horse Radio Network. Uh, his name is David Saunders, and he fills in once a month on the driving radio show. And David was the coachman to Prince Philip and the Queen of England for 20 years. He's coachman for Gloria Austin and, and her coaches and her team of six uh, Spanish horses, PRE horses, beautiful white horses. And he got a call not too long ago to help out. Disney is coming out with a live action, a, a real person Cinderella movie. 
that they're doing. So it's a new Cinderella movie. It's already been filmed. It's coming out in March. And uh, they made a Cinderella coach by magic (gasps) is made out of a pumpkin, right? Well, they shipped that coach over from Europe where they filmed the movie. And it's going to be in the parades at uh, Magic Kingdom at Disney World for two weeks over Christmas time. And they asked David to come down and uh, provide the horses. And he's going to drive the coach down Main Street for the parades. Lovely. That sounds awesome. So we're we're counterintuitive. Everything's going to animations these days. So Cinderella's going the yeah, opposite go, well, way. They, but Disney's been doing that. They've been making these live, mo- you know, these act live character movies off of the, the old animated Street. movies, and they're yeah. doing it with Cinderella. The preview looks really good. And David will also be, you know, how uh, Disney does the parade for Christmas Day in the morning. They have the parade that they put on ABC mm-hmm. uh, coming to you from Disneyland and Disney World. Well, David will be leading the parade driving his horse, oh. Gloria's horses, with this uh, pumpkin carriage. So, How beautiful. Yep. Taking, he'll be driving uh, Cinderella and Prince Charming. So in the parade. We'll have to turn on the tube. Yes, that sounds yes. awesome. It'll be on TV. Yes. Yes, they actually today. Uh, they as we're recording this, the 9th of December, they are filming it. They always film that parade ahead of I time, see. and it's an uh, absolutely beautiful, not a cloud in the sky, 50 degree day here in Florida. So oh. it's absolutely beautiful for the for the filming of the parade. Ah, uh, we can't wait. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we'll that's something cool maybe. that's happened that I thought you'd be interested in. That that is cool. You know, David's driven princes and queens and. And things like that. And we said now he's moved up the world. He gets to drive the mouse. So, you know. <laughs> that's that's right. right. Finally, the mouse. Yep. <laughs> that is awesome. That's Well, awesome. we have a, got a lot of guests to get to and some good stuff. We do. We do. I think people are going to just love uh, both these segments, uh, mostly because uh, we've got somebody new that we've never had before here. And it Katrine ties into mentioned. my conversation about movies. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about Hollywood, though. The you know western side of the United States. It's very western centric here. And then, of course, we'll finish up with the uh, the ultimate western cowboy that I know, which is Monty Roberts. And Monty's doing his year in review, like we do every year on the show. Yes, I right. say that we've done it once before because <laughs> that's how old our long been. history. But, is yes, but now year. we can say it's a tradition because this we is the second time. <laughs> It's my tradition. That's, That's right. <laughs> That's right. But first, I think we have to do a commercial for one of our terrific sponsors. That's right. IFA.com. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate. He's a sugar bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. 
Up next, our next guest is Patrine Day Mitchum. Some people will recognize that famous last name, but I know her as an author of Hollywood Hoofbeats, and she is a terrific author at that. What she has done with Hollywood Hoofbeats in the second edition now, the second version is add the most comprehensive list from the very beginning of Hollywood uh, equine movies, Western movies, uh, horse movies, all the way to the most fantastical movies out these days like Avatar. But all of them have to do with our equine friends. Welcome, Patrine Day Mitchum. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Patrine. How are you? I'm fantastic, Debbie, and I'm just so thrilled to be here with you today. Thank you for, for including me in your show. Happy to. I think people are going to be having a lot of fun with this today because who doesn't love a Western? Who doesn't love to know a little bit about the backstage of the Western and things that went on? And who doesn't know more about it than you? I mean, you've really grown up. You're not 150 years old. We all know this. So you didn't live (laughs) all through this, but you've you've experienced a lot of it living in, in the West. Tell me a little bit about what got you interested in writing this book first. Well, um, it actually started as a documentary film. I was doing research on a project, and that film never came to be, but I was just got hooked on the subject. And it's not just um, horses in westerns, but really all movies. And, you know, what I came to discover in, in my research was that the, the entire movie business really started with an experiment with a, a horse and a camera. So there were Mm-hmm. Arguably, might not be a movie business if it weren't for a horse. At least I like to think that way. I totally agree. Tell us that story. I think that is one of the coolest parts of the book. I mean, that got me right up front. Was that the original Stanford moment that was set up by um, uh, by a very famous man? Everybody knows his name, but I don't think they would know him for how he started the very first moving picture. Well, Leland Stanford, who was one time governor of California. Um, he also owned saddlebred racing horses, which are harnessed, you know, harness horses that, that race at a trot. And he and a friend had a bet going as to whether at some point in the uh, racing gate a horse would have all feet, all four feet suspended off the ground. So in order to, you know, solve this question, um, Stanford hired this obscure English photographer named Edward Lybridge to photograph um, a, a horse in motion. And what he did was he set up cameras at intervals around the track, and they were um, sort of synchronized to go off mm-hmm. um, at 21-inch intervals as, as the cart went by. So right. it took half a second to take 12 pictures, and in, that, in those 12 pictures it was shown that the, the horse in question, whose name was Abe Edgington... <laughs> Uh, what a horse did. Name. Yeah, I know. Actually, had all four feet off the ground. Well, this started a whole series of photographs that of um, that Mybridge took of Stanford's horses, and these early um, they were called the motion studies. And these early motion uh, pictures were really the first motion pictures um, in America. So um, this really kicked off the motion picture business. And after um, after this series, um, the famous Thomas Edison in 1894 started 
making motion pictures, and some of his earliest subjects were horses because they're just so fascinating to watch in motion. Mm-hmm. So his very early movies were, were quite short. I mean, there's one um, that just shows, it's called The Burning Stable, and it just shows a, a white horse being led out of a barn, a burning barn. So, but it was just very a very captivating image to see a, a horse in motion. And really, um, they were... A, the backbone of, of the motion picture industry and in America. Really, yeah, what, they'd never thought of that before, right? And who knew that Thomas Alva Edison had anything to do with the first movies? I didn't. I didn't know that had anything to do with it. But he, uh, and that was like 16 years later, too. It was a slow, yeah. slow crawl that the movies started in. I love what you, I mean, it's such a tribute to the horse to the horses. It's it's fun to say that it's a book about movies and it's a fun to say it's a book about westerns, but really I read this as a tribute to the thousands of what you call equine actors who've entertained the world since uh, you know since the start of silent movies. Uh, is that what you would you describe it that way too? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean I I just feel like um, the horse really deserves as much recognition as anybody else in the movie business, at least in the films that have horses in them, because they work so hard, and um, you know many of them are specially trained to do specific stunts. Um, certainly, in early westerns, they were as popular as their human co-stars. I mean, Roy Rogers has a famous quip. He says, "You know, I think that as many people can come to the movies to see Trigger, his his you know horse partner, mm-hmm. as they come to see me." And um, I think it was true. It was, you know, Roy Rogers and Traeger or another, um, you know, early singing cowboy, Gene Autry and, and his famous horse champion. Mm-hmm. They were um, duos that were really, really popular because of, of their partnership. So the horse really made a, a, a very huge contribution to film and continues to do so, by the way. You know, we're mm-hmm. still seeing great horse films like War Horse recently mm-hmm. and... and mm-hmm. um, Oh golly, they're just—they're even westerns are being made as we speak. So it's—it's yeah. it's pretty exciting that the horse continues to have a role in the motion picture industry. But um, yes, I would say my my motivation and what was thrilling to me was to really dig in and, and find out about these individual horses and where they came from, and if possible, who bred them and who trained them, and and um, you know what 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 was their real name like? What was Trigger's real name? Which turned out to be, um, um, well, what was Trigger's real name? I don't remember that. Now I'm yeah, something myself. <laughs> <laughs> Golden Cloud. Kind of a tri- Golden, Golden Cloud. Cloud was Trigger's real name. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Mr. Ed's real name was Bamboo Harvester. You know, finding out all these that. these interesting <laughs> details was was what really excited me in writing this book and researching it. I love that. I'm so glad you put it all together, too, because what a legacy this book is, too. And, and a real um, a sample for us to follow, too, to keep this this tradition alive of of thanking those um, early adopters and those early... You said that um, there were certain horses that stood out from film to film, and you developed some favorites uh, in writing the book. And it made me think... I, I love horse people who get to know the personalities of their horses, and everybody does that's been around horses long enough. What were some of your favorites? And can you tell us a few little stories about, like, Dice and some of those cute cute horses? Oh, Dice. Well, Dice was a, a really cute black-and-white paint horse, 
And he was trained by a gentleman named Ralph McCutcheon, who also he trained another one of my favorite horses, um, Highland Dale, who I'll get to in a second. But Dice was just, he didn't make that many films, but he was just so distinctive looking. He, he made um, a few movies that I don't know if, if many of your listeners will remember the Dagwood comic strip, Dagwood and Blondie, mm-hmm. um, or actually Blondie comic strip. But there yeah. were some movies made with Dagwood and Blondie. And Dice was featured in several of them, and he was just did all kinds of crazy tricks, like you know, sitting down. And um, at one point, he gets into an elevator and rides up to to um, Dagwood's office. And just, but the thing about him was, he just had such a crazy, cute face. He's sort of a bald face with a blue eye, and he just had a lot of expression. He was also in um, Duel in the Sun with Gregory Peck, in a great scene. He's where he does some tricks to, to impress um, the leading lady in that film. And it's just a really cute little sequence where he picks up a hat and mm-hmm. does you know, sort of typical trick horse behaviors, but just very, very cute. So mm-hmm. he was just one that I, I really kind of fell in love with and, and looked for in films. And mm-hmm. the Highland Dale, who I mentioned, was also trained by Ralph McCutcheon, um, began his film career as he was only 18 months old when he got the role of Black Beauty, which was released in 1946, the 1946 version of Black Beauty. Mm-hmm. And he worked at Liberty in that film, meaning without a, a you know a rope on him, and just was a stunning, stunning performer. Mm-hmm. And he went on to make a number of movies, including um, a very famous movie called Giant with Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson. Right. And um, in that film... He has a very famous scene at the end of the film where he pretends to be, I mean, he's not pretending to be lame in the film. He's appearing lame in the film, but of course he had to be trained to look lame. And Mm -hmm. he has to walk across a pretty large expanse limping on three legs and and, and then come and stand at this hitching post with his head down. And just, it's it's a stunning performance. And (laughs) he actually won an award for that. Um, The American Humane Association which is the organization that monitors animal actors and child actors in film, um, used to give awards, and he, he won award, an award for that performance. And then, like so many actors um, in the old days, after his movie career, he went on to a successful career in television and became Fury. So many people know him as Fury, which was um, an NBC series starting in 1955 and was hugely successful. And Highlandale actually got a salary of $1,500 per episode, which was a huge (laughs) amount of money in those days. That is. I mean, he actually made half a million dollars in eight years, working only four months a year, which is pretty amazing. It's a good gig to get. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good gig. Yeah. So he was one of my favorites. He was an American saddlebred stallion, a black stallion, and, and just a gorgeous horse. So another one of my favorites. Mm. Um, and in Westerns, uh, I think my most beloved horse is a horse named Steel, who is a, a quarter horse, chestnut horse, with a what we call a flaxen mane and tail, sort of a blondish mane and tail, and a big bald blaze face and stockings, and very, very flashy horse. But he was very tame and was very, very easy for for actors to ride. So he was 
sort of sought after by many actors, uh, including my father, who wrote him in a couple of early movies. My father, Robert Mitchum, wrote him in his first starring uh, role in the movie called Nevada, and um, the producers were smart enough to give my father, who barely knew how to ride a <laughs> seasoned horse, but oh, everybody loved to ride this horse. Gary Cooper, Gregory Peck, John Wayne, Joel McRae, um, and Ben Johnson, who made many movies um, with the, the famous yeah. Western director John Ford, Riding right. Steel. So you can see many examples of Steel if you, if you so, want to go rent some of those old John Ford movies. I was going to say, yeah, you, you watched a lot of movies to write this book. What, what, did Steel end up teaching a lot of those stars to ride, basically? Well, I would say probably so. I mean, of course, the Wranglers at the stables would work with him, and, and um, there was a um, gentleman named Ken Lee who um, was kind of responsible for keeping Steele tuned up, and he would give the actors writing lessons as well. Yeah. And, and um, so yeah. I would say that was a, a team that worked really well for the, the actors to have Steele and, and, and Ken Lee. And there's quite a bit about Ken Lee in, in the book. and. Um, and his contribution to movies, and there's actually a picture of him on steel in the book. So, um, yeah. So there's there's always those detractors who will say, and yeah, the movies have been horrible for you know the, from the humane standpoint of horses. But I, I think very few people will know that um, I, I was interested that Errol Flynn uh, really was instrumental in getting a lot of those um, laws changed, or at least enforced. Well. What happened in that case, yes, you're right. In, in some of the early films, horses were not well treated, and in order to create the, the spectacular falls, they were actually trip-wired and sometimes you know, forced to run into pits and, and off yeah. cliffs. And There were a lot of equine fatalities in the early days. It wasn't just that's the way it was all across the board. There were also actors and producers who really had a, a, a great consciousness about yeah. animal welfare, but it wasn't enforced, and a lot of producers just, you know, were after the, the, the fast and easy way to do it and didn't care about the horses. Um, and in The Charge of the Light Brigade, which was um, a film in 1936, which had a famous scene with a bunch of horses charging down a, a mountain, um, a number of horses were trip-wired and fell, and Errol Flynn was the star of that film. And he did not realize that this was going to be the case when he started out riding in this film. Of course, being the star, he was not on a horse that was wired to fall or anything like that. But when he saw what happened and how these horses were treated, he was outraged, and he spoke out quite publicly, um, probably much to the chagrin of Cecil B. DeMille, who made the movie. Mm. Um, but he did speak out quite publicly, and... He was instrumental in raising public awareness and within with getting um, the involvement of the American Humane Association in monitoring animal actors. So he's uh, one of my personal heroes for not only because he was incredibly handsome and a good actor, but because mm-hmm. he was such a, a lover of horses. Mm-hmm. Good, and he really did make a change. Then, uh, being influential like that in the the going forth. I think horses are well, well treated now. I mean, talk a little bit about War Horse and the, and the juxtaposition of the old, old Westerns that use nothing but live horses to animations now. Well, you know, War Horse actually used um, live horses in a lot of the scenes mm-hmm. that you might think they did not, but um, yeah. they were, um, 
Warhorse employed some very well-trained horses, and I think you might be speaking later to a gentleman named uh, Bobby Lovegren who, who trained the horses um, for Warhorse or, tra- or trained the Star Horse. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, there's one scene where um, his horse, Finder, playing the, the lead horse, Joey, um, actually faces a, a tank and, and runs over the top of the tank, and, and he really did that. I mean, it was... Is that very, right? Yes, it's, it was a, a very um, controlled stunt uh. and very, very carefully done. But, um, you know, that was absolutely... Um, Absolutely, a a real a real amazing, thing. amazing. Him, yeah, trained him to do but that. But the horse that was caught up in the barbed wire—that was an anima. That was a, a, a electronic horse. I don't know what they call it, animatronic. Yes, there was right? an yeah. animatronic horse in that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yes, it's um, in the scene. The horses. It's in a sequence called No Man's Land. Sequence. Yeah. Um, no Man's Land was an area of the battlefield that was full of barbed wire and the horse gets trapped in that barbed wire so yes they they did um build a realistic life-size replica of joey the lead horse and and um uh, the special effects um supervisor says that um they had four or five puppeteers buried beneath the ground operating the horse oh my Um, gosh so and then the real horse or or finder um bobby lovegren's stunt horse was brought in for close-ups of, of Joey's face and, and had to lie down in the, the mud for these close-ups. So um, he, he still made a big contribution to that sequence. It's fantastic. It's such a niche uh, profession to be an animal trainer for the movies. I'd love to have Bobby Lufgren on with you, too. Well, maybe you can do a follow-up interview and have you to tell us about the training of horses for these movies. Um, but I, I, do you know personally, besides Bobby, are there any more around the world like him, or does he literally go all over the world and train these horses for the movies? Well, he does, but there are there are several others working today. Um, Rex Peterson is one who's um, oh, yeah. a longtime trainer. He worked um, on Horse Whisperer with his wonderful horse, Hightower, who um, unfortunately passed away a few years ago at a ripe old age, I might say. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, he was trained um, to do, oh, the the charge towards Robert Redford in the film. He charges at him when he's he's playing Pilgrim, the the wounded horse. Mm -hmm. And um, he was actually just one of the sweetest horses that ever lived. I actually got to ride him, and he was just a, a sweetheart. But he had all these amazing tricks on him, behaviors that he would just, Rex would um, cue him with a whip. Not, I don't mean by hitting him, but just as a eye cue, like a conductor um, mm-hmm. leading an orchestra is how the trainers like to describe it. And Hightower would see the whip flick in one direction. That would mean to bow or to you know, lie down or whatever it was. So he was a, a very highly trained horse, and Rex continues to train um, today. Um, Tad Griffith, who is a stunt rider, but also trains trick horses. Um, he's very accomplished. Um, there are probably others I don't know about. Um, right now, busily training horses to do all kinds of things. Yeah, but, um, good. But it is somewhat of a, a lost art just because we don't make those kinds of movies so much anymore. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Bobby also, Bobby Lovegren also worked on Lone Ranger, and um, there's quite a few scenes with... Um, the, the one of the horses that portrayed Silver with Johnny Depp, um, 
doing some very cute work up close um, at Liberty, and that was all trick behavior that was trained. Um, yeah. Is it hard for you to watch a movie and not go, I know that horse. Hey, he didn't have a white stripe on his face last time I saw him. <laughs> um, well, I, like, I get a big kick out of recognizing horses from film to film. And, and, I, and to see, you know, if I can see where they put makeup on them. For example, with War Horse, because there were so many different horses portraying Joey, um, they did have to have special makeup on, and, and that is discussed in the book. And I have, was fortunate enough to get some photographs with, with a makeup artist painting a, a star on his, one of the horses' face. But um, I can suspend disbelief. I, I'm, a, I'm a good audience member. I get, if it's a good film, I just get carried away in the film, and I, I can be fooled just as much as anybody else. Uh, that's nice, because I think horses in movies is the biggest carrier awayer for a lot of us <laughs> that, that can exist. Um, you know, it, even it was hard actually to watch War Horse because as a horse lover, you know, you think, oh, this is going to be bad for the horses. But even then you can suspend belief and they, they're, they're kind these days not to, um, to do too much that you can't stand. Although I know a few people who couldn't watch that either, but I, I know there's, um, a movie coming out uh, with uh, with Home Homesman that's coming out with Tommy Lee Jones uh, pretty quickly here. So I'm excited that the trend might be that there's westerns. Uh, do you think that actors like playing in westerns? They like playing with the horses. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've I've never met an actor that didn't want to be a cowboy. Aww, <laughs> um, great. You know, I, I think it's great fun for them. I mean, I'm. Boy, I, I would love to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that it just, you know, speaks to something kind of primal in, in all of us. Um, but I think that the, I, I think that there will always be Westerns, you know, certainly not as many as were made in, in the golden era. But um, I think that, you know, directors love to make Westerns and actors love to play in them. So I think that we'll always have them coming along. That's um, great. Good. So. That's, that's hopeful. Did your dad ever put you in a cameo role, or are there any movies we can point and say, oh, I saw you in there? Nope. No! <laughs> I was actually, I had a very, very small part as an extra in a movie called The Mechanic with Charles Bronson, and most of me wound up on the cutting room floor, but oh, if you shoot. watch really closely, there's a party sequence, and I think I'm on screen for about... Mm, maybe 0.2 seconds. <laughs> uh, that might be hard to search out. Okay, so we're going to have to get you a roll. <laughs> we're going to hopefully this book will get you a roll in there. You deserve it because it's a beautiful book. It's a it's a beautiful tribute, and the photographs. Uh, I mean, it's a pictorial. It's a, it's definitely a coffee table book that has so much substance that it's as good a book for um, the head as it is for the coffee table. I loved it, Petrina, and I was really glad that you agreed to um, let us know about this second edition. Proud of you for getting, I mean, oh, that's well, Thank you. It's really my, my great pleasure. It's, um, you know, I just never stopped being fascinated by the subject, and, and um, I was glad to have an opportunity to do a new edition and put nine new films in the book and, and many more photographs from my archives because I really have, was fortunate to get a, great collection of photographs from a variety of collectors and um so yes there's some amazing photographs that you won't see anywhere else in this book yeah well i'm going to put a link to how people can get this book in there and i highly recommend that they get it as christmas presents because people will be impressed by this gift they they will Aww. love it well thank really you for saying that uh, i i, I 
have to say, I think you're right. <laughs> good, good girl. Well, um, see what you can do to get Bobby and you together. And we would love to have you back if you'll come and, and share some more. And Patrine's book can be found at hollywoodhoofbeats.net. Uh, and I understand that you'll sign some of these books. Is that right, Patrine? Well, so, yes, they can be ordered. Um, there's a link on that website uh, okay. to a store called Out West Boutique where uh, signed copies can be ordered for Christmas. Very and nice. right to you wherever you are. And there's still time. This uh, should air on the 15th, so I hope people will grab that. And there'll probably be people that you can't even think about right now, but uh, they should go on your hollywoodhoofbeats.net and look that over. I bet you'll think of lots of people that would love the book. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western... English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. Up next, we have our trainer's tip. And this week, we have Monty speaking about animal wound and infection care. Pretty interesting stuff. I'm glad to have Monty Roberts back here for our uh, this week's trainer's tip. And I know that you were telling me a little bit about equine skin care and some things. So I, I would love for you to elaborate for our listeners today your trainer's tip on uh, some of the skin care uh, product that you like. Debbie, I, I'm so excited to do this for you. And I'm not going to give you products, but I'm going to give you one product. It's called Corigem, C-O-R-I-G-E-M, Corigem. And it's an incredible product that was discovered in the Amazon. And mm-hmm. the killer bees have a lot to do with it because it's propolis. What they use to stop the funguses and the bacteria from eating their honey up. And mm-hmm. the discovery of this is by a New Yorker that went down there with a team of people. And they actually went right into the jungle. And they were looking for something else. This, this came ancillary to their original project. But Corrigem does unbelievable things. And for that set of, let's say, dew poisoning or uh, cracked heels, whatever you want to call that fungus that eats up the, um, the, yeah. mm-hmm. the pasterns of the horses, and it, they become chronic. And I had one mare that was chronic for four years. Everything that they put on failed, and they couldn't use this mare. She was shortlisted for the... Uh, our Olympic team in dressage, but Corrigem, four days later, she was walking south. Four days later. Mm -hmm. Corrigem is a miracle worker, and research shows that Corrigem offers antiseptic, antibiotic, Ah, so it kills. It's in there. Okay. Antifungal, Mm -hmm. and even um, antiviral properties. And it needs to have all those properties if it's going to keep those animals off the honey of the killer bees. And killer bees can do some good things too. Corrigem is one of those things. It's an unbelievable wash for the body that stops girth itch like you cannot have ever seen Yeah, before. that's a big one. Yeah. So, cor- cor- yeah, it's a big one in our industry, but Corrigem puts an end to it. And you can just dust it onto brushes, uh, and then you're actually helping the body as you, as you clean your horse. 
I am sold on Corrigium, and it's four years now that we've been, uh, you know, putting it on our horses and experimenting with various things, and it is an ace product. You cannot believe how good it is. Corrigium mm-hmm. from the Brazilian Rainforest. You know, I just went and Googled this product so that I could see how you can find it. So I found it at CorrigemAnimals.com. Corrigem is C-O-R-I-G-E-M-A-N-I-M-A-L-S, CorrigemAnimals.com. And they've got a promo code on there for you. It says, if you you say Monty in the promo code, you get 10% off and free shipping. That's a good deal. I'm glad. Monty with uh, a Y. To know, good tip of the week. Thank you. Up next, we have Monty Roberts, and this is his now famous year in review, where we get to look back at all the exciting things that he got to do, and I get to pummel him with questions about those places that sometimes he doesn't talk about because he's so exhausted when he goes back (laughs) from trips, I don't get to hear about them. So this time, this is my year in review and my gift to you. Welcome back, Monty Roberts. Hi, Dad. Hello, Debbie. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. We're excited because it's our holiday edition year in review, and we couldn't do that without you. It's now our tradition. So we would love to. That's cool. That's (laughs) cool, but we better hurry because I got things to do. I mean, you can't be sitting around. This is uh, at 3 o'clock. I'm going in the round pen with a wonderful horse and, and and a dressage rider and everything. So fire away. I'm I'm ready. All right, I don't want to wear you out now, but we're going to go through a year in review. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and I, I know there's some highlights in here, so we'll go fast. But um, you know what? When I go through this, it does actually exhaust me because I realize we kind of lived through all this. But, but I think <laughs> people would be interested because you are the most interesting equine man in the world. So, okay. um, But one thing I wanted you to, to know, and I don't know if you realize this, but our Equus Online University turned five years old this last year, just this recently. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It, five. It's got to be one year old before it can be five years old. Holy <laughs> moly. This is crazy. And, and I heard you know, there was 330-some lessons already up there. You pass. Okay. You knew how many lessons were up there. That's right. 330. And, Debbie, Debbie, I'm told that if you took all those off and made DVDs out of them, they'd be worth between four and six thousand U.S. dollars, and you're it offering hard, it for yeah. pennies a day. <laughs> you're, you don't get into the back office stuff, so <laughs> I know, uh, and people won't. I know, pay I that. just heard it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm really excited because it really is becoming a volume of uh, a, a legacy of your teaching. So, so really excited yeah. about, it, and I'm proud of that. So, without further ado. I would love for you to to tell us a little bit about each one of these highlights as we go through the year. And I remember at the beginning of 2014, a really cool opportunity came up to go back to Australia to train with Gay Waterhouse. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure can. I I was sitting around uh, after Christmas and New Year's till about the 5th of January when when I took off for Sydney. And... uh, I was working here and doing things. I'm not in the, inferring that I had a day off, but <laughs> I get to I get to Sydney, and this woman, apart from me, has more energy than anybody I have ever met in my it's entire true. life. The lady sleeps about three hours a night, I think, and and uh, literally she's training at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, 
And then you'll see her at the races in the so afternoon. Should... And then she'll be out to dinner meetings in, in the evening. Uh-huh. She is, is a tra- She is a trainer at the track. We should introduce who she is and what she does. Well, uh, do she's, want- she's 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 the trainer of Australian racehorses. Um, you know, like the highest quality they've ever had by multiples, and uh, she just uh, continues to win and be the leading trainer down there. Uh, year after year after year. She inherited it from her husband who uh, went off in another direction with uh, gambling uh, business or online gambling kind of thing. But she is absolutely a female phenom, uh, the likes of which nobody's ever met. It's very hard to work for because you, I mean, literally, you've got to put on an iron suit and just ask yourself for every cell of energy every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she's amazing. But and, it worked uh, out pretty well. It worked out pretty well. You well, you met some pretty amazing people down there that you started training on for her, um, and yeah. have ended up being really great uh, horsemen down there too. Young kids. Yeah. yeah, I've got some young kids down there that are doing extremely well. <clears throat> Australian kids and and New Zealand kids, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 the same. But um, the, things are changing there, but very slowly. It's it's extremely difficult uh, to make changes there because their whole racing system is very, very machine-like, and uh, the regulations are incredible. Mm-hmm. But I, I got up every morning at three thirty, four o'clock, and uh, I went to dinner with them at 6, 7 o'clock in the evening. They were still doing meetings when I left. It was unbelievable and i was there through till part of february where i was off to uh, to england uh back through california but off to england uh for the uh tour in in the winter time this, right. this one was march and uh i had some great demonstrations there and things went really well and uh, i had to get back here in april to Some have of a the, surgery. I I love talking about Martin Clunes though. You've got to tell us. A lot of people know who Martin Clunes is, and I know you you played horses with him in March in the tour. Yeah, so, yeah. He's the nicest guy. guy in the world. Yeah, he's the nicest guy in the world since the loss of John Forsyth, and uh, I call him the John Forsyth of the English set. And uh, he he has TV show after TV show. Animals are his favorite subject, and he likes to do animal shows. Like but Doc power. Martin is his uh-huh. Doc, Doc Martin. Martin, yeah, horsepower he mm-hmm. does, but Doc Martin is his, uh, uh, you know, his bread and butter, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy is just absolutely phenomenal. The nicest guy you ever met. Six what, foot what did three, he do? About two hundred and forty pounds. What did you do and with him? We, we we did it. We did a thing with him uh, on the teaching the horse to come to the mounting block. Oh yeah, yeah, That's yeah, right. and it, it was a lot of fun. It was at the Hand in Somerset, Clevedon. Um, southwest England, uh, and I, I just uh, I just admire him so. And we're scheduled to be with him again in in March, uh, two thousand fifteen. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Good. And then in April, I know you went to Germany first. Was that you started to talk about a surgery? What was that? Oh yeah, I went to Germany and I I did a tour of Germany. And then I came back here uh, April the 28th. I had a surgery that laid me up for a few days. And then 
got back to work because uh, yeah, I had a particular. A <laughs> yeah, I had a particular lady that I I won't go into a, a very high level uh, celebrity lady that had a horse that came here from Europe and and did some awful things and really put people in jeopardy. The horse, and did. she needed not the lady. Yeah. <laughs> not the lady at all, the <laughs> horse. And uh, the horse uh, came here to flag us up for my summertime relaxation time. And uh, he tr- he tried to tear everything on this place down and, and hurt people. But it turned around for me. In fact, he was actually scheduled to be put down. And then I got it turned around. And I just watched him. I, I'm I'm at the house like minutes after I watched him go through some incredible displays of tranquility and low level heart rates and stuff like that. So he took up a lot of my summer and I had four and then five interns here most of the summer. That's right. And they were from all over the world, but I mean all over the world. And what a joy it was to work with them and watch them grow and learn uh, as we went through, and I've got some disciples out there now that I tell you are taking the word onward, and uh, mm-hmm. the, it won't be long until they'll say, yeah, I remember that Molly Roberts. He he did all right, but boy, we've good. got yeah. some good ones now, <laughs> you know, because they're going to go right on by me. Uh, well, it's yeah. unbelievable it's a great how uh, this whole thing is, is whirling into shape, and... Um, well, back in May, was, back in May, you had all those instructors here. Speaking of which, disciples. we had the instructors meeting, mm-hmm. uh, global meeting in May, and that was great. We had I don't know twenty some instructors mm-hmm. here. It's mm-hmm. hard to get them to travel and come to California, which is sort of off center to the whole thing. We have sixty seven or seventy one or something instructors now globally, and um, about eleven yeah. to fifteen of them depending on which day you're talking about, because they, they are graduating. Uh, but there's something over, over around a dozen uh, instructors in Germany alone. Mm-hmm. And then you have Scandinavia and Switzerland and mm-hmm. Austria, et cetera. And, and then you have England. So everything is kind of centered over there. But here we are in what we call the Mecca, uh, Solvang, California. And they do have to travel a lot. So we had 20-some here, I don't know, but it was wonderful. It was. It was had, impressive. You remember Dr. Yeah, William Miller uh, spoke, Dr. Dr. Andrew McLean. Dr. Miller was here. McLean mm-hmm. was here. Andrew mm-hmm. McLean from Australia. Yep. He was Lee here. Wills. Lee Wills Lee from Wills New Zealand. was here from New Zealand. She owns the art of dealing with weanlings in New Zealand. And uh, we had... Uh, it Katie Cunningham the, from Guatemala. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Guatemala was represented with a speaker, Katie Cunningham, which Katie's just moving up the ladder so fast, you know. Um, she's thrown in with the brook, and I am now an ambassador of the brook. That's the brook right, you became an ambassador. Too. Yeah, I'm, I'm an ambassador. About Long about that time, I became an mm-hmm. ambassador to the brook. Mm-hmm. And the brook is a global foundation that has been instituted for the care and improvement of the life of equine animals in service to human beings. Mm -hmm. And that is globally. And, uh, well, I'll tell you more about that later. But anyway, uh, yeah, I became a 
ambassador of the brook, and there was Katie Cunningham speaking, and we had Rosie Jones from England, uh, who's now at Cambridge getting her doctorate, can you believe it, and getting her doctorate in behavioral equine behavioral sciences, and uh, she gave a paper uh, on certain aspects of behavioral uh, uh, patterns of the equine animal uh, that was really interesting, and, and uh, every all the instructors found it to be a, a greatly edifying situation with mm-hmm. all of these speakers there. It was a fantastic yes. week. Really and, um, we, 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 you know, I, I was getting ready to go off uh, to England at that time because I was sending them back to England and Germany, etc., but already thinking about the fall, fall tour, and I had this horseback here that I had to get right before I left and I was getting all my interns in line to get that going and working with my deer through the summer too, uh, the yeah. wild deer here, yeah. that that was really gratifying and I, I came up with a strong indication that this ritualistic habituation is a bona fide science that I'm finding more and more use for. Today I worked, this morning I worked on ritualistic habituation with this one particular horse, and and was uh, it was so unbelievably successful. Uh, it's a it's a whole new thought pattern about training horses um, that I think we've had, I'll say, wrong for six thousand years. Mm. And I don't mean that anybody was wrong; we were just uninformed. And it has to do with things like you teach a horse to turn around. Okay, so you turn him around left and right each day. Wrong. Turn him around one way till he gets that right, and then turn him around the other way till he gets that right. What is Create right? Ritual. Like is it, yeah, so I, I agree with you. So getting it right looks like what? What he's finally relaxed? Well, getting it finally- right depends on whether he's a dressage horse or a western horse ah, okay. uh, or a show jumper. Getting it right might have a different look to it, but when you say you're an expert in whatever discipline you're working, when you say it's right, then do it until he can't get it wrong. Good. And then move on to the, to the next item, which might be turning but in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Or it might be stopping, or it might be jumping a fence, or it might be piaf or passage in, in dressage. Uh, so it, it's incredible how we've missed this because we mix horses up, giving them too many messages in a given day. <clears throat> Their mind is in a narrow channel, so we ought to operate in a narrow mm-hmm. channel. And if we operate in a narrow channel, they'll say, hey, I get this. Mm-hmm. I got it. Look mm-hmm. at me. I can do this. Then you move on and stretch it a little bit and go uh, slightly askance to where you've been, and you take on the next challenge. It's unbelievable how much better that works than trying to give them five or six messages in the same day, i.e., the Western trainer often turns left, turns right, changes leads, and stops, all in a given day. Wrong. I'm telling you, the world will know in the next couple of years, the world will know that's wrong. Work on one thing until he gets it right. Give him a chance to repeat it until he gets it right. Ritualistic, create a ritual, Mm -hmm. and then habituate to that ritual until he gets it right and and reserves it to muscle memory 
so that he can't get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then move on. Some people will say, oh, that'll just cause them to only want to do the one thing. Yep, you're sure right. And then <laughs> when you stretch them a little bit, they'll go to another thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it works. I'm so excited about it. I can't begin to tell you. And it's, and it's all horses. Willing partners all... horses. Yeah. Our willing yeah. partners horses, which I worked with, uh, using these techniques all summer, they're learning so much faster now that there's not words to describe it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. I know that you tell me that the Equus language is uh, universal amongst horses, that there's maybe some accents because of the uh, predatorial environment that they have. So a horse in Australia might have a little bit of a different predatorial instinct or language than than uh, a South African horse. But but universally, this hab- ritualistic habituation is helping horses, you believe. Oh, absolutely. It's helping horses and people, too. We're staying safer. We're not mixing up our messages. We're not getting frustrated. Okay. Uh, fewer horses will be struck with a whip. Fewer horses will be stabbed with a spur yeah. uh, because frustration sets in with the trainer when they when they get it wrong uh, through mixing the messages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. And that reminds me of the horse sense and healing too, because you had a name change. You went on a, a, a media tour, I know in, in August, you were on Good Morning America yeah. and, and did some of these things so that you were exposing horse sense and healing. So now tell us how the, the healing starts happening in your program. Well, uh, yeah, the the military thing is, has been really big for me, and we have an enormous event coming up this coming Saturday night. Um, yes, on this you do. business of working with the military people, it's so exciting. We have some real high-level um, celebrities coming to, to see it, and I think we have 15 or 20 military people already registered for this particular clinic. Mm-hmm. And I'm working in England, too. Mm-hmm. with help for heroes over there. And I did 32 men and women in one day, 16 join-ups before lunch and 16 after lunch with with assistants. Um, and I did the interviews, one-on-one interviews with them to try to help. And 100% of them at the end of the day said that this was better therapy than they'd ever had from oh. the regular uh, system of dealing with uh, military returnees. So I'm I'm really proud of that, and we're continuing to work on it, and we've got to get dates to England, Debbie, uh, as soon as possible for uh, a March three-day over there. We've we've got to get uh, dates to those people. They they're mm-hmm. they're asking me for it as soon Great. as possible. Okay, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, and 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 so I did that. I had two clinics over there in England this year that were just off the charts wonderful. And um, I, can't, I can't go past the feeling that I have for the good that the Hoys is doing. The uh, Horse of the Year show England, mm-hmm. Hoys mm-hmm. for short, mm-hmm. um, it, they had a situation this year which really proved their worth. Um, they had a guy come in with a circus horse. And they often have these ancillary events, which they do during the competition just for the entertainment of the audience, you know. And they have, they have each year one of the world's famous liberty acts, yeah? Mm-hmm. And this year they had a particular guy that came with high recommendations and stuff. I think he came from Spain or Italy, I'm not sure. And uh, the horses were frightened and they ran out of the arena. 
And uh, one day into the show, these poor people had to do something, uh, and it had to include sending this guy home. And they stopped it all and sent him home. And they immediately got on the phones, and they found a group of kids in Scotland that they brought down to Hoyce and Birmingham. It is in the first week in September. Sorry, first week in October. Right. And they brought these kids down, a vaulting team. And I was asked to go there, as I have been for 10 years in a row now, to present the awards for the uh, the biggest event of the night, which is the finals of the show jumping. But anyway, I did that. But I'm I'm there as a guest in black tie now. Come on, yeah, I'll pretty impressive, tails, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, and uh, so I'm there to watch the whole show. Yeah, and they told me about this thing. I never was in favor of these Liberty horses being there in the first place. But here they come in with this group of kids from Scotland, and I want to tell you, they stood the crowd on its ear. Liberty. It was unbelievable. Awesome. These kids are so good, and the horses are treated so well, and they're healthy horses that are happy and going around there doing their thing without any painful look on their face or their mm-hmm. ears back or their mouth open and all those yeah. things that Liberty horses often do. And I don't want to just badmouth Liberty horses because we have some students that are really working to take the really pain good. Yeah. and uh-huh. violence out of the Liberty thing, you know, so I'm, I, I, there's nothing wrong with any discipline. It's only the people that conduct it. And uh, so I, I sat there and I watched these kids and they brought pride to the UK family like you cannot believe. This Horse of the Year show came out on the long end of this thing. They really did a job uh, landing on the right foot uh, in a challenging situation. Fantastic. And I want to give them the most credit possible for uh, for the things that they're doing. They're working Great. every year to make uh, the rules for their competitions more user-friendly for the horses and more user-friendly for the people, too. And they need to be given credit for that. But probably the most gratifying thing that I had in 2014 was the performance of the Queen's Next Crop of mm-hmm. Thoroughbred Youngsters. I had a team at Polehampton for Her Majesty that worked under my direction to prepare the babies for their first rider. And they did such a job that... Um, I started out with 16 head, and there'd be 22 head in all, but I started with 16 head for the first um, spate of youngsters to go through the program. And, Debbie, I put the first rider on 16 head between 8 and 12.30 in the first day. <laughs> now, they not only first rider on, but they walked, trot, and cantered. And they did so in a round pin and in a riding ring, manage, a, mm-hmm. a large area. Um, mm-hmm. Each one of them did it. And the second day, they were going in pairs. Wow. And uh, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. No horses bucking, no horses kicking, no horses causing any problem at all. Uh, mm-hmm. The queen was there three days later, stood in the middle of the um, uh, manage, and the and the and the, and the babies trotted around her, and yeah. and she 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 told me it was one of the most gratifying things she'd ever seen. And I know 
that if Guinness Book had a chapter for this, that yeah. my 16 horses would would be the most first rider horses any trainer has ever put on in the one day using yeah. no violence whatsoever and, and having happy, nothing bucks. Happy horses. Having yeah, no bucks. bucks. No bucks. No bucks. Look at that. First but they were properly prepared. These yeah. kids did such a fantastic job. There's a lady that runs Pole Hampton called Rochelle Murat, and she did such an incredible job with her team, as Megan and Stacy and John uh, on the team, and they, they, they just blew my mind. I, I, I don't know what I can do to, to, to reward them for mm. this, this incredible performance. And then wow. I had a good Adrian shout out and, to them. Uh, and Jake, uh, two kids from England that ride for me on my tours, I had them getting on. And not one was not only not bucked off, but they not even bucked with uh, <laughs> in the first seven days of, of riding. And then I was off on my tours, of which I think I had two of my eight venues um, right on top of the list of the best venues I've ever done in my entire That's career. Good. It just gets it was better. incredible. And only in, only surpassed by my last one in Germany, which I think the whole thing should be on the uni or some, some way it should be saved mm-hmm. because it was absolutely incredible uh, what happened. And I got a seven-minute standing ovation in Germany right. where I've never That's had right. a standing ovation of any length. Yeah, before. they can cross their arms a little bit over there. They can, they can be, yeah, they they can be can. critical. And, they're, they and you know, they're hard to please because they have a huge, long tradition of excellent horse training. So they know good horse training when they see it. And that's, I well, think, the conclusion. It was, it was you, unbelievable. I had one horse yeah. called Enjoy that didn't enjoy his life at all before <laughs> I met him. But it was what he, what he did for this audience was just off the charts. That's and then I had one ridden uh, 30 miles to come there. And, oh, one uh, of the, for a trailer loading? Yeah, five years I, they'd been trying to load him into trailer. I love with those stories. And everything. I love those yeah, stories. Yeah, and it, it, went, it went beautifully, too. And I got home here two days before Thanksgiving, had Thanksgiving, and went right to work with the Brazilian and, team and, and others. We, I don't know how many clinics I've had since I've been home. I've lost track of it. <laughs> But it, You've it, had a busy a year. You've had a yeah. hugely busy year, and that's why I wanted to get it get it down a year your year in review because I don't think anybody would believe it if we just wrote it down if they didn't hear it right from you. I think it would be incredible. Yeah, and Debbie, 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 in 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 April April twenty eighth, I had that surgery, you know, and for a year and a half before that, they had not let me do any exercise because of the surgeries I was going through for old man stuff. But um, anyway, six weeks after that, they turned me loose and said I could do exercises because it was finally a successful surgery and it was uh, healed and everything is okay. So I, I, I decided, Debbie, I'd try to find out how many push-ups I could do anymore from the floor, recognizing that I'm in my 80th year. But how many push-ups could I do? Four of them. Four, Four. Debbie. Yeah. yeah. First, uh, the end of, of August, I could do four push-ups. And I just said, you know, you're going to get in shape, Mr. Roberts, and you're going to come back and you're going to be a role model for these people. <laughs> you talk to yourself like that, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, 
I wanted to weigh about 190 because that's what I weighed when I graduated high school. And that's, yeah, that's what tough. I weighed this morning. What? Good job. That's tough. Yeah, and that's, that's what I weighed this morning. And that's a, a loss of 80 pounds since they diagnosed me type 2. And yep. so then I, I took off. That ought to be Debbie. a lesson to everybody listen. When I yes, left I for India, when I left for India, I had it up to 12 push-ups. And yeah. when I got to India, I met Satish Simar, one of our yep. foster sons that's over there now because he runs Sheikh Mohammed's thing in Dubai. But anyway, he's from India. And, and Satish uh, was so impressed with me doing 12 that I was <laughs> stoked. And I kept working, working. And by the time I left India eight days later, uh, I was up to 30 or 35, something like oh, that. Oh, that's pretty and good. And it came to me, Debbie, that my birthday, my next birthday, May 14, I'll be yeah. 80. Now, yes. that means I've completed my 80th year. Right. I'll be 80. <laughs> That's my 80th birthday, right? Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Uh-huh. All of 2015, <laughs> I want you to promote all of my okay. tours are going to be 80 at 80, <laughs> which means I'm going to do 80 successive nonstop push-ups. Are you sure? Are you sure? Can I'm going to do, do 80 successive nonstop push-ups okay. at 80 years. Sound pretty confident. Okay. What are you up to right now? I'm not telling you. Oh. (laughs) I'm not telling you. I might not make it. Oh, that's true. (laughs) But you've got to go. They're building me a board to go in the round pin so I can show every audience that I'm a good role model (laughs) and I can do 80 at 80. Yes, you are. And the board is because, you know, there's horse manure in the bottom of those round pens and there's sand and everything. I I don't want to get my (laughs) clothes dirty and everything. So they're building me a kind of a board table-like that I can do my push-ups on. And anybody that comes to one of my demonstrations in 2015 is going to see 80 at 80. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I'm going to do it. I believe you. I, t- I bet everybody else listening believes you too. But now you got to prove it. So I guess that's what you do. You set that goal out there. You're so competitive. I love that. With exactly. yourself. <laughs> well, it's great. <laughs> it's great. It keeps you stoked. It keeps more horses uh, happier because you get to be working with them on tour. And I'm really glad. I'm, I'm so proud of what you did this yeah. last year. It's an unbelievable feat of nothing else but surviving um, yeah, you do. And here I am <laughs> at 80. Really I went well. to the doctor yesterday for a general checkup, you know, and uh, for those of you that know medical things, my, uh, blood pressure was 107 over 55. <laughs> my pulse rate was 54. Ah. And, and my entire blood picture is right in the normal range, right across the board. That's so awesome. he says, I have at least 25 more years. A lot of people will hate that. But anyway, <laughs> I don't think they're so. stuck with I, me. I want a signature on the bottom of that. You know, that's an agreement. <laughs> it's, it's recorded now, right, Glenn? We got this recorded, so it's staying with us. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank, Glenn, thank you. Glenn, are you coming. are you asleep yet? I'm here. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm thinking. I, I I'm only fifty two, and I can't. I I the thought of doing eighty push ups makes me break out in a sweat. So. <laughs> I have an Ironman on my team over there on the Queens thing, you know, and he's had some injuries and stuff, and he's no longer in competition in the Ironman thing. But when I told him that I was going for 80, he he got really fired up, you know, and 
And then he came back and he said, oh, my God, how many did you say you did? And I said, I'm up to 65 now. And he said, oh, I couldn't squeeze out my 52nd. I did 51 and that was it. And this guy's 38 years old or something. <laughs> or no, I think he's actually 32 or something like that. And, and, a, and a really fit guy. So I'm bragging now, but it's not really bragging because... All of us can do it if we just get our heads around it. And uh, staying fit is a big gift to your horse. You get on better, you sit better, and you get off better. So getting fit, staying fit is not only a gift to yourself. It's a tremendous gift to your horse. And the greatest gift we can give anybody else is our time. And if we give our time, uh, we will be a role model. We, we don't have anything else to give. You can't give money and call it a gift. You can't give things and call them a gift uh, when you can compare that with time. Time to help, time to assist, time to love, cherish, and to respect uh, the others around us. Uh, in your 80th year, you'll see that you'll come full circle to think that way too. Mm-hmm. Nicely said. Well, that's a great Merry Christmas wish and an end of a year and a nice send-off for 2015. Thank you very much. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, the two-legged and the four-legged kind, in Arizona. March 14th, Monty will be back in the USA in Arizona. And then March 24, 26, and 28, he's back in the old United Kingdom. He'll be in Kent, Essex, and Somerset. And you can see more of Monty's schedule at MontyRoberts.com if you want to find out all the details, like where he is in Arizona. <laughs> uh, Monty's calendar can be found there, or you can give a call at 1-805-688-6288. They have some terrific people that uh, man the phones there at the, at the ranch and can answer any of the questions that you have. Happy to. For details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you can find the links, photos, and more information about our guests. The easiest way to listen to the show is our app. Just go to the Horse Radio, search for Horse Radio Network in the iOS or Android app store on your phone or your iPad, whatever, and you just download the free app. It's the simplest, easiest way to listen to Horsemanship Radio and all the shows on the Horse Radio Network. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under facebook.com slash Monty Roberts and Twitter at twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. And many thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit the other great shows on Horse Radio Network, too, at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 